A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. Hello, this is Father Thomas, and welcome to the Sprouting Stump podcast series, where we reflect on the readings that come to us from the Mass each day. When we take a little time to let the Spirit come upon us, a bud shall indeed blossom in our hearts, so we might be renewed in spirit and strengthened in faith, as we take this time together to enter into that beautiful word that comes to us from God. On this Corpus Christi Sunday, as we celebrate the most holy body and blood of Christ, Father describes for us the teachings of the Church on Holy Communion. Well, as you should know, as the state of Mass today, we honor the most holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, I can sit up here for four hours and talk to you about what it means to be Eucharist and still not even come close to grasping the full mystery of what we believe in. In fact, entire books have been written about Holy Communion, and they don't touch on all of it. I don't have four hours. You barely give me four minutes. But I want to touch on something that will change tracks a little bit. Because as much as we don't understand the Eucharist itself, many more Catholics don't even understand some of the rules and principles that we have surrounding the Eucharist. So I want to talk about those instead. There's five areas where people seem to have a lot of confusion. There seems to be some differences of opinions and beliefs among Catholics, even priests and bishops. But first I should at least identify what is Holy Communion. What do we mean by the sacrament? Well, simply put, what we receive is the bread of life, that which nourishes us on our journey towards holiness, of which we are called to give eternal thanksgiving, because it is the real presence, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus present in that host, by which we renew our covenant with our Lord, and we enter into union with Him and the Church. I just now summed up 2,000 years of doctrine in a single line. But because of that mystery of the doctrine, the Church has put in place certain principles that we should follow in order to go to enter into the sacrament. Now the first topic has been gotten a lot of media coverage. Amazingly enough, the media seems to only talk about the Church when they want to say something negative, but you've probably all heard, or at least read, articles about what's going on with President Biden and Speaker Pelosi. And the big contention and debate is whether or not they should be denied communion. So the question is, is there ever a time when a priest or bishop should deny somebody communion at Mass? Some say yes, some say no. So what is the truth of it? Well, let me first by saying this. No priest or bishop has a right to deny anyone communion. But every priest and bishop has a responsibility to deny some people communion. Why do I make the distinction? Because to say it's our right means we have an option to whether to do it or not. You can either take the right or you can refuse the right. Responsibility, you cannot. It's your obligation. 
And there are some circumstances where a priest and bishop has an obligation, a sacred duty, to deny certain people communion. Now, we all pretty much know that the Protestant come to the church, we tell them, you're welcome to be a mass with us, you just can't receive communion, right? If they're a Muslim, if they're a Jew, if they're an atheist, if they're Confucius, whatever they follow, if they're not Catholic, we say, you're not in union with the church, so therefore you're not entitled to receive Holy Communion, because Holy Communion is an ultimate symbol of unity with the faith. That's why we call it Holy Communion, everybody. What do you think that word means? It means we're saying, I'm in union with the doctrine of the church. I believe what Jesus teaches. I believe in the authority of the church, and I want to be a part of that. Now, if a person chooses to believe something, and they act on it, that goes contrary to the teaching of the church, and they do it publicly, and persistently, and after they've been corrected, they still insist on what they believe and hold to, then we have an obligation to deny them communion. For the same exact reason we deny Protestant communion. We're not saying because you're not worthy. None of us are worthy. It's not because we're saying you're a bad person. It's because you've broken unity with the church. You've willfully said, openly and publicly, I do not want to be a part of the church because I believe something that goes contrary to what the church is teaching. And I'm doing it openly. And that's important. They do it openly, which means priests and bishops would know about it. And everybody else would know about it. So if I were to give somebody that persistently and openly does something contrary to the church or teaches something contrary to the church, what I'm saying is, it's okay for anybody to receive communion because it doesn't mean anything. I make a mockery of the sacrament, and I myself have actually committed mortal sin by giving them communion. Because it destroys the understanding of what the beauty is of what we believe in. Because we have to recognize it's not a symbol of Jesus, it is Jesus. And He's in the call us together to be, what? One people, one faith, one worship, one heart, one mind. That's His dying wish. Literally, that's His final wish before He dies. So if people choose to be out of communion with that, they should not receive the symbol of that unity. Now this is not a matter of people doing bad things. I'll give you another example. If one of my parishioners decides that they're going to write in the newspaper, and they make many articles they've written in the local newspaper, I don't believe in the authority of the Pope. I don't, shouldn't have to listen to him, I think it's a bunch of nonsense. And they do it consistently, they make it public, and I tell them you can't do that, they do it anyways. I have to deny that person communion. They haven't done a serious sin other than being a heretic, which is not exactly a good thing, but that's something in other situations. It's not about them being a bad person. It's holding to something that goes contrary to the church that says, I don't want to be in union with the church. I have to deny that person communion, plain and simple. Now, there's another topic that's even more sensitive. When should we deny ourselves communion? It's a whole different thing. Because you see, if you do something wrong, even if I know about it, I can't deny you communion. If I knew that you were doing something that was totally against the church's teaching of morality, if I knew that you missed Mass the last 15 weeks, if I knew that you were having an adulterous affair, if I knew that you had done something this or that or the other, I still cannot deny you communion. Why? Because the condition for me denying you communion is you have to do something persistently and publicly after being corrected. 
But you have a responsibility to deny yourself communion when you've broken that union with the church by a grave sin. You have a responsibility to say, I have not kept the faith, therefore I am not entitled to receive communion until I get back in union with the church. How do you get back in union with the church? Very simple, everybody. It's called confession. You simply say, I'm sorry. I'll try not to do it again. Boom, you're good. But if you don't want to confess, you continue to keep yourself out of unity with the church. And so if you've done something that you shouldn't do with a grave sin, you should deny yourself communion. Now there's a problem with that in the Anglo society. And what is that? We're so used to everybody going to communion. If you see somebody going to communion every week and then one Sunday they don't go, what does everybody think? Oh my gosh, what did that person do this last week? They didn't go to communion. They must have really messed up bad. We immediately start thinking, horrible, horrible person. Oh, we start thinking in our head, what did they do? What are they going on in their life? By the way, as soon as you start thinking that about another person, you've just now eliminated your right to go to communion. Makes it kind of tough, right? So the conditions to deny yourself communion are a little bit stricter. If you intend, if you don't go to Mass the week before, it says because you simply decide not to go, you're too lazy, whatever, you don't have a right to come to communion. If you're having an affair with somebody, guess what? You should never be receiving communion. If you've slandered somebody, if you beat your child, well, in some cases, anyways, I'm not kidding. If you've done something, if you've treated your wife poorly, if you've done any number of things, you should say, God, I've done something that's broken my relationship with you, and I should go to confession and get that fixed before I receive you. Now, spouses, how many of you are married? How many of you would get into a big fight and you call your spouse a really horrible name, and you say something really terrible and it really hurts them badly, and then five minutes later, you walk up and treat him like nothing happened. You'd be thinking, uh, excuse me, uh, you did something bad. Don't you think you should apologize first? Before we go out and have a nice dinner, I expect you to reconcile, right? So if we expect that with our human partner, shouldn't we expect that with our divine partner? Yes. It's as simple as that. We're not trying to keep you from communion. We're trying to keep you from making mockery of communion. St. Paul says in Corinthians 11.27, those who receive the body of blood unworthily bring judgment upon themselves. It's the teaching of the church that if you come to communion knowingly, having done something horribly wrong, and you ignore what you've done and haven't brought yourself back to communion, you've now compounded your sin with another mortal sin. Now we don't like to hear that word mortal sin because it means bad stuff, but sorry, that's the teaching of the church. Communion, I need to help other people understand. It is not the prize for showing up for Mass. It is a relationship with our Lord Jesus, and one we should respect and understand. Which leads to the next topic. And I bet you, you've either heard this question or asked this question many times. I'm, I'm curious to know what the answers are for you. Whoever was here yesterday cannot answer the question, so. Jeannie, be quiet. How many of you have asked this? How much of the Mass has to actually participate in in order to receive communion? Ever asked that question? So how late can I be to Mass and still go to communion? People ask me how it is. Anyone ever thought about that? Anyone got an answer for me? What is it? How much of the Mass do you have to be in to get communion? 
What's that? 96%. Okay, he's a little bit stricter than most people. Okay. You've probably heard answers like this. Well, you have to be there for at least the gospel, right? Or some people think as long as you're there before the auditory, then you can go to communion. Well, the answer is a bit different than both of those, because they're both wrong. The answer is, how much of the Mass must you participate in to receive communion? All of it, and none of it. You're like, what does that possibly mean? Okay, let me explain here. The obligation, first off, is to go to Mass, right? So how do you fulfill an obligation? How much of the Mass must you attend to, to fulfill your obligation? All of it. I mean, it doesn't say the obligation is to go to 90% of the prayer of the Mass. It doesn't say go to 38%. It doesn't say go to 96%. It says go to Mass. And guess what? Mass at the beginning, and Mass has an end. If you don't go the whole thing, you haven't gone to the full Mass. If you stop the Our Father at give us this day our daily bread, have you said the Our Father? No, you said part of it. Now, the church recognizes we are a bunch of sinners and we make mistakes, right? Sometimes we oversleep. Sometimes maybe our kids are acting up. Or in some cases, every day our kids are acting up. Something, things happen. And sometimes we're late just because we tend to make mistakes and we're not perfect. So therefore, if you show up late for Mass, you can still receive communion if you didn't show up for Mass because you're going to blowing it off. If you're watching reruns of Nickelodeon and you're late for Mass, you shouldn't go to communion. If your kids were acting up and you had to change diapers or something and you didn't hear, and you get here five minutes before communion, you can receive communion. In fact, if you try to make an honest attempt to get to Mass, and you actually show up after communion, you can actually receive communion after Mass. Just come up and say, oh, did you get to communion? Can I have it? And the answer is yes. Because I want to explain something, everybody. Communion and Mass are not the same thing. Mass is not just communion. And communion is not the obligation for Mass. They are different. We don't have to receive communion when you go to Mass. And you still get the beauty of the Mass. Our obligation is attend Mass, not receive communion. And people need to understand that there's a difference there. I'm curious why I ask this question. If you were given the option for the course of a year to receive communion every Sunday or go to Mass every Sunday, journey up one or the other, what would most people do? They'd want communion, right? And Jesus would say, wrong choice. Communion flows from the sacrifice of the Mass. The Mass does not flow from communion. We enter into the sacrifice of Jesus, whether we receive communion or not. That's why it's not obligatory to receive it every single time. You still give yourself over to Christ in the Mass, even if you don't receive Him. Communion is an extra grace to help us enter into that union with Jesus. And people need to understand and appreciate that. The Mass is what we're called to because we enter that communion with one another and with our Lord Jesus Christ where we celebrate the sacrifice of the Mass. There's only one person who's obligated to receive Jesus at the Mass, and that is the priest. If I don't do it, there's no Mass. If you don't do it, you still went to Mass. You still get the grace of the Mass. You still get the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice. You still get your sins forgiven. It's a beautiful thing. We need to appreciate that. 
That's why to ask ourselves this question, how much of the math do I have to go to to get communion? What a dumb question to ask. How many of you would look to your spouse and say, how much of my self do I have to give to you for our marriage to be fulfilled? Honey, if I gave you 20% of my love, can we still call ourselves married? You know what the response from your spouse would be? I'm going to give you 80% of my foot. We don't ask questions like that. We give ourselves completely as best we can. So if we show up late for Mass, whether it is 5 minutes or 25 minutes, because we simply weren't paying attention and not caring, we shouldn't go to communion. But if we show up for Mass 45 minutes late and made an honest attempt, Jesus says, I'm give myself to you. Plain and simple. All or nothing. Communion is not a prize for doing something. It's a gift in a relationship simply because God loves us. And we need to understand that. Now, this brings up a point that I didn't even realize to myself on this, um, this next question. You've probably all been wondering about this one. How many times can we receive communion over a weekend, right? You've probably all heard that. How many times can we receive communion? If I went to Mass multiple times, can I receive communion multiple times? What's the answer? The answer is what? Yes and no. Depends on the conditions, okay? So I need to explain something else about communion that almost nobody understands. First off, canon law says if you go to the same liturgy more than once, technically you should not receive Jesus again. Now I say technically, they leave a lot of leeway. If you go like on Saturday and then you go on Sunday, technically you should not come to communion again. However, the reason for that is this. Some years ago, people would have this philosophy about communion. They would go to Mass in one place, and right after communion, they would run to another church a few minutes before communion, and they would go to communion there. Then they'd run to another church and go to communion, and then they went to another church. They would bounce around trying to receive Jesus as many times as possible, thinking, I'm getting all this extra Jesus. How awesome. And the church says, uh, it's not how it works. I'll explain how it works. If you go to the same liturgy more than once and you receive Jesus again, you've received the same Jesus as you did before. You get no extra grace in that other communion. And they're trying to get people to understand that it's the same sacrifice, it's the same Christ. Now, if I handed you a host and by accident two hosts were stuck together, you do not get a Big Mac of Jesus, okay? You don't get a double decker of Jesus saying, oh, I get double Jesus. It's the same Jesus. You don't get any more of him. Just look at my broken half. You don't get any less of him. How many of you have received a broken host and thought, Oh, I'm getting cheated. People think that in their head. You can't cheat eternity. If I give you a perfect little Jesus, you get all of them. If I give you the whole chalice, you get no more of Jesus than that one time. The liturgy is the same. Now if you go to a wedding and then go to regular mass, you get more of Jesus because it's separate liturgies, different sacrifices. So therefore that counts. Now, quick note, this is the thing I didn't realize. If you go to a wedding or a funeral or quinceanera or anything else other than mass, that's not the Sunday mass. If you do it after four o'clock on Saturday, after four o'clock, not at 3.45, and it starts after four o'clock and before midnight on Sunday, that mass counts for your Sunday obligation. Now, I will tell you this, if you go to a wedding, hoping it'll be after 4 o'clock, so you don't have to go to your Sunday obligation, 
You've just now lost all the graces of the mass, period. So don't have that attitude, okay? We keep having this minimalistic thing. Oh, Father, the mass starts at 3.30. Can you bump my wedding till 4 o'clock so I don't have to go to mass on Sunday? You know what my answer would be? I don't know if I want to marry you now. Get out of my church! I really wouldn't say that, but I'm thinking that in my head. Come on, folks. We need to take this seriously. But it's important to understand that the same liturgy is the same Christ. And so you receive extra grace by going to Mass again, but you get the grace of the Mass. But you don't get more Jesus. Okay, I just want to make that clear. But if you come on Saturday, you come on Sunday, I'm more happy to give it to you. If you show up for Mass four times on the weekend, after the third time, I say no. That's, you're just now abusing it. It ain't going to happen. Unless you had four special reasons to go to Mass. And there's one case where you could have it. So you've got one kid that can only go to one Mass. You've got another kid that can only go to the other Mass. The third kid can only go to the third Mass. And the fourth kid can only go to the fourth Mass. You can go to Mass four times to receive Jesus every single time. That's okay. But you're still not getting more Jesus. But you can still come forward. All right. Final thing here, then I'll shut up. Well, I'll say the rest of Mass. Okay. What is the holiest way to receive Jesus? Because there's a lot of debate right now in the church. And there's a new movement right now that's trying to get things back to the way it was during the last masses where people were thinking the holiest way to receive communion is what? What's the new argument? What is it? On your knees receiving the tongue, right? Is that the holiest way to receive Jesus? Pardon? With a clean heart, exactly. The church does not teach what the holiest way to receive communion. They do, however, teach the way that you are allowed to receive communion. And as long as the church teaches it's okay, it's okay. So there's two ways the church says it's proper to receive communion. On the tongue and in the hand. Standing up is the norm for the United States. And you should follow the norm of the church. Because to do otherwise is to say, I know better than the church, which makes you then say, I am better than the church, which automatically puts you out of communion with the church, which means you should not come forward. So in an act of trying to be holy, you actually become unholy. Because we determine for ourselves what's holy. The church tells us what's holy. Christ tells us what's holy. We don't make the determination. So there's two ways to receive, on the tongue and in the hand, with a proper disposition of heart. Because I don't care what your external is, if you've just come before communion and you're thinking in your heart, man, that person ahead of me, this looks like a slob today. What are they even doing here in church? Ah, oh, that person was blah. These kids were crying. Why don't those parents shut those kids up for God's sake? This lady's hairdo is like this big and I can't see. And that person seems terrible. And, well, my God, Father, he talks so long. I'm like, I'd be late for dinner tonight. This, if that's your disposition coming forward, I don't care if you kneel down and you lie prostrate. You have not received communion in a holy way. Plain and simple. Jesus said, it's not the externals that count. It's our heart. So you can look good all you want on the outside, but if you're not good on the inside, it really doesn't matter. So I'm going to give you two things about receiving communion on the tongue and in the hand that are important. You receive Jesus, okay? You hold out your hand or you hold out your tongue and you receive him. Don't take him out of my hand. Not good. And you don't bite it with your teeth. Okay, because I get that. And when you receive him in the hand, you take him immediately. You don't walk down the aisle. Take him. You take him into yourself. 
and then you can walk away. It's a gift. We should treat it as a gift. I see people walking away casually. Even people receive on the tongue, they treat it like it's no big deal. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives himself to us completely. He says, you are not worthy for me, but I'm making you worthy. So come forward and receive me. But do it in a way that respects him. And if we respect him as long as we follow the rules of the church. And the church says it's okay in the hand. The church says it's okay on the tongue. The church does not say it's okay for you to do a dance. So we follow the rules of the church with the proper heart, giving ourselves to Christ, not being critical of others during that period of time, and offering ourselves a living sacrifice and all is good. Simple as that. We are blessed to receive something that most people in the world don't get. We should treat it such as that. These rules are not put in place to restrict us, but to free us to have a better relationship. We should respect them, just as we should respect the Eucharist. Jesus puts things down so that we will be holier people. He says, plain and simple, if you love me, you follow my commands. They're not too difficult. We should follow them.